This is how we do it. The podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop their worldwide selection of soccer gear, European stuff, national team stuff, FC Dallas stuff, jersey scarves, tees. They got everything, man. Listeners of Third Degree get 20% off at Soccer90.com with the code Third Degree at checkout. That's 20% with the code Third Degree. Soccer90.com. Some exclusions apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode 235, 235 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, and here to talk all about the adventures in Dallas Burn FC playoffs is myself, our favorite Englishman, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. How's it going? Are we all uh, wearing our Ranger-inspired powder blue uh, Third Degree gear today? I am not, but uh, now that you mention it, maybe I should have bought one in the first place. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and the original and the next door neighbor to your World Series mm. champion, Texas Rangers, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Did you say Texas. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Is Cobra on your mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Peter, in my casual baseball fandom, that's not my sport, but I did grow up, you know, within shouting distance of uh, the ballpark over here and and, and back in the old uh, Arlington Stadium and even we used to go sit in the bleachers for two bucks, you know, after school we'd run over there and sit out there in the sun and, 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 and grew up, you know, in the market of this team that has never done anything ever. And I will admit this, not being a baseball guy, I'm just a casual Ranger fan, but it's still something I've been w- involved with my whole life you know, with family and, and all that kind of stuff, being big fans over the years. So um, super cool that the Rangers won, and I, I enjoyed it. And I'm not going to go get a tattoo or anything, but I did I did enjoy the win. Uh, I've lived here my entire life. They, they're my hometown team. I know nothing, very little about baseball, and I have no claim whatsoever as a fan of the club. But, man, I got to tell you, I am so – uh, deeply happy for those friends of mine that are big uh, Ranger fans and have, I know guys professionally and people personally that have invested a lot of time and money into that team over the however many years, and they deserve everything they got in the last 24 hours, and I'm happy for everybody. So it's it's pretty great. My favorite thing about the Rangers, other than Nolan and the, the Robin Ventura thing, and, and Pudge is probably my favorite player, but the powder blue jerseys, both the old version and the new modern version, are amazing, and that got us the totally awesome FC Dallas version of the <laughs> kit that they have. So that's why my favorite thing, uh, you know, other than the one or two great moments. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's crazy what happens when the owner of the club decides to spend a whole lot of money and go nutso and buy right. the best players possible. And best manager. <laughs> funny funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Well, and they got the city to spend crazy money to put a roof on it so they could get pitching. That's I know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird parallel to our yeah. uh, huh. anti-parallel to- You don't uh, say. Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? Kind of weird yeah. how all that has worked out so for the weird. Texas Rangers. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> what could we possibly <laughs> learn 
As yeah. we move into Seattle to Dallas nil uh, yeah. on Monday night. And before we get into the game itself, I want to just go ahead and get out of the way the whole thing about Velasco, because that's obviously something, a big talking point out of this game. But uh, as we record this on Thursday, uh, we waited specifically to record Thursday late because we wanted to make sure that A, you got to go to a training session, and B, we wanted to make sure we got as much information about the Velasco situation as possible, which we got today, and yep. uh, by the time everybody hears this, they know it's not good news. Yeah, on Wednesday, when I talked to Coach after training, you know, he told me that they were not very optimistic, but he didn't have the MRI results because the MRI was that morning. And he said, we'll know more tomorrow, and we'll tell you at the, on the – press conference. And then, so the zoom press conference on Thursday, they announced a coach did the official uh, ACL tear and with a nine to 10 months prognosis out, which is pretty standard. That's nothing, nothing unusual about that timeline. That's very normal. Um, and you know, of course that's a real bummer. So uh, there's lots of things to talk about with this. Um, I in particular immediately asked coach uh, about Alan, you know, how's he doing as a person, you know, as a young kid living here, by himself. And he, and he said that, um, Al obviously was really discouraged after the MRI, but then, you know, a day later was vowing to fight and return and all that stuff. And they said, they're going to work out a program with him to, to, they can't have the surgery yet because without, without knowing any specifics, they said things have to happen. What they mean is the swelling has to come down. The information right. has to come down. Everybody knows that about this kind of injury. They flew back from Seattle. I'm sure that was a factor, you know? So, that'll all happen. And they said, they're going to work up a program with him for rehab. And a part of that program was, is that they'll, they'll work him here, of course, but they'll actually let him go home to Argentina for a while, you know, and have somebody that they'll work out something with somebody down there or send somebody down there. And they'll give him a chance, you know, in this horrible time for him to go home and spend some time with his family. But also when he is here, which will be a lot of the time too, of course, they'll, they'll keep him heavily involved with the team and involved in all this stuff, you know, so he doesn't, get stuck here by himself going through this horrible rehab rehab at 20 years old by himself. You know, you can just imagine where a young kid like that, who we, we've already seen before have slight off field loneliness sort of issues pop up. Well, that obviously for me was a big concern. So I think, I think they have a good, they'll have a good plan in place for that. And that's reassuring. I think. Who's going to take care of his puppy. Well, I'm, I hope he does <laughs> Hopefully. Can't take him to Argentina with him. No, I'm, I'm sure they'll get a sitter or something, but then, you know, <laughs> they got a whole department on player wellness. Now I remember that's the thing they added yeah, about a year sure. ago. So, yeah. um, hopefully they'll have somebody take, maybe I'll, I'll offer to puppy said, I, I love dogs. So I'll take him. So I want to talk about, there's been so much discussion and specifically in your discord buzz, which by the way, if you're listening to this and you're not a Patreon and you don't do the discord, you should, uh, it's totally worth your time. It's a fantastic community of people, uh, a lot of which are very angry at the Sounders for this injury. And I'm uh, I, Dan, I, you, I, you've seen it. You've watched it. Do you hold the Sounders uh, rolled on or uh, Rushnik or anybody else accountable for this injury? No. Um, I mean, if it is that play as well in the second minute where he's just sliding for a ball, that's just part and parcel of the game it was it was interesting because uh it was garrett melcher of the club who tweeted out after the announcement of the injury the video evidence or and making the claim that the injury didn't happen in the uh a, a 12th minute in the rodon collision but actually happened 
in the second minute of the game when Velasco has the ball in Seattle's half of the field and tries to turn back against a group of uh, Seattle players and and the kind of ball kind of squirts away from him and he goes to slide tackle for it and you can kind of see his left leg get bent up underneath him I, I was surprised I mean I, I it's I'll tell you why I was I mean I didn't notice anything about Allen I don't recall in watching the game in real time ever thinking up until the Roll Dawn incident that anything bad had happened to Allen do you recall that in any way Buzz no I do not but um I guarantee you that Melser as an employee of the team would not have tweeted that without a hundred percent permission and knowledge from the medical staff and the coach and what he tweeted matches what coach had told me about. Cause I asked coach about the incident and he described it to me as Allen's leg getting a little caught in that turf and then getting caught a little behind him. And then so-and-so's foot is planted and it kind of catches on his leg too. And he gets stepped on. So he describes the moment where Rusnak is there, which is the play that happens in the second minute and not the thing with Roldan later. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear that they knew this was the case by the time I talked to him on Wednesday, that is, you know, whether they thought that, at the end of the night and the heat of the moment. And certainly I didn't think anything of it until the roll down collision happened, you know, and then he was walking around a minute after that. So it seems very likely to me that this is the right scenario, that something happened, the initial injury happened on the, in the first second minute. And, it, and if you don't, if you know anything about this kind of injury, you can walk around on this injury until there's lateral pressure that will pop it. Obviously you'd be like, Oh, something's seriously wrong. And it may not have been until that later collision that he realized that something was seriously wrong. Well, I'll tell you what I did this afternoon is I went back and I watched the first 15 minutes of the game and I all I did was watch Velasco for 15 minutes. And it what's interesting is that after the incident in the second minute, something that went completely unnoticed by me and I'm assuming most everybody else is that uh, obviously Allen goes down, the ball ends up back in Dallas's end of the field and when by the time the ball recirculates and the camera kind of resettles towards middle of the field. Velasco is clearly uh, standing essentially midfield, kind of goofing with his knee a little bit. Mm. And he's limping. And for the for the next minute or so, he, uh, he, he kind of trots around the field with a little bit of a hitch in his giddy up. And he would stop and fiddle with his sock and goof with his knee, and he and that goes on until about the th- about three twenty. And at three twenty, if you look carefully, you can see Nico come to the sideline onto camera and kind of put his hands up and and call to Allen and say, "What's your situation?" Allen turns around and gives him the thumbs up. And Allen continues to play for another minute. Uh, he's clearly testing the leg. He blocks a shot with his right leg at the top of the Dallas box. In the eighth minute, he chases, actually sprints all the way down to the end line, comes to a sudden complete stop. He cuts back on his left leg with no apparent uh, issue. In the 10th minute or 12, 11th minute, he uh, also, if you remember the run that Tafari makes and the shot Tafari attempts, mm-hmm. um, Allen is the player who receives the ball that bounces off that shot. I don't know if everybody remembers this. And in that sequence, he collects the ball with his right foot and then Kryev turns and plays it with his left foot and plays it as if nothing is really wrong. But this entire time, if you watch him really carefully, you can tell that something's not 
quite right. Like he's not running as smoothly as he normally does. Knowing what we know now, right? I think that's pretty obvious. And then the incident happens at the 11.46 minute where he he collides with Roldan after Roldan is clipped by Areola. Uh, Roldan gets his foot caught. He trips over him. He kind of his after Roldan clips him, his foot, I'm sorry, Areola clips Roldan, his foot hits the ground and he falls into uh, into Allen. And then I think everybody else knows the rest of it there. Um, I, you know, I think that it, we've seen a lot of different versions of this injury, you know, and the severity of the terror can vary quite a bit uh, greatly. You know, you can have it be torn and ruptured completely where the knee just almost comes apart. Like, uh, I dare say Tarek Scott had happened, um, mm-hmm. and his horrific double one, or you can have just this tiny little tear and you really can't even feel it. Uh, you know, it hurts and you're like, Oh man, did I do something as a meniscus? Is it a strain? And then you get, maybe you cut a couple times and it feels all right. Maybe you get hit it later and maybe it feels a little worse. And at some point the pain starts to pick up or you start to lose what you feel like is structural integrity down the side of your knee or whatever, you know, and various indicators are telling you, I better stop running. So to me, it actually the fact that he was ran around on it, ran as a relative term for, you know, another 15 minutes or so, is probably a really good indicator that it maybe is per not, not particularly severe, not being a doctor, I'm going to say that, but it's still bad enough that he's going to need to have surgery, you know? So it's, it's, again, it's not great, but there's a difference in these kinds of injuries where you have complete separations and ruptures versus tears, you know? Yeah. In fact, it's what's interesting is immediately after the rolled on incident, he does go to the sideline. He does something with the trainer. We don't see it on camera, but it's less than 15 seconds later that he's back on the field. He makes another run. He plays the ball again with his left foot in the 14th minute. Doesn't appear to have anything until he gets the ball at the top of the Dallas box and tries to beat the two midfielder or the two Seattle defenders. And it appears that he goes knee to knee with Rushnik at that point. And that's when he yeah. kind of hops on it and goes to midfield and then goes to the ground and begins to cry. Well, if you if he goes knee to knee on a guy, you can imagine perhaps that putting some pressure on the tendon in a way that you maybe hadn't experienced to that point. And that yeah. point, maybe he really feels it and like, oh, crap, now I'm in trouble. You know, and it may have been something he was just trying to get through until all of a sudden it's like, nope, nope, this is not happening. And the body starts to shut down on you and then you're in you really get an emotional reaction when something really that awful feeling can happen to you when parts of your leg are giving away in directions you weren't expecting them to not to make a lot of it, but yeah, I think he, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, I don't know when the worst part of it happened. I don't know if it was on the initial incident. I don't know if it was in the rolled on collision. I don't know if it was, if he did in fact go knee to knee, but somewhere in there, something got so bad. It got to the point where he just finally had to let it go. And, uh, that's really unfortunate and sad for Allen. So it's a long yep. road. Yep. Uh, but I, I have to say, Buzz, even with all of that in mind, there was very little indication, even up to that point in my mind, that Dallas uh, had much of a chance based on the very hopeful uh, way they were playing. There was no purpose to the game for Dallas, it appeared. It was very kind of like, hey, we're just going to try to do what we got to do to survive this as best we can. You know, I think for the first little bit, they were pretty active, you know, through 30 minutes, really. Um, You know, for example, if you look at Jesus's um, shots and touches through 30 minutes, he has, you know, five touches in the box and three opportunities, two of which were absolutely golden opportunities. You know, he's got uh, 
an XG of 0.6 at that point, you know, which is, if that's your stat, it's not mine, but a lot of people really like it. It is indicative of the fact that he got a couple of good opportunities in that moment. But th- this is something coach talks about a lot. Like when you, ha- when you're on the road and you, and you do create these early opportunities, you really have to get them, you know, cause this is a team that always is going to produce a low volume of opportunity. So you have to take advantage of these when they come. And this is what we talk about all the time of like the big player rising to the occasion. And we said all along that this team was going to go as far as someone like Jesus or Allen might do something special. And Jesus had their at least two golden moments uh, that he could have done something in that first 30 minutes. And when those things didn't happen, it almost felt like there was a little bit of a deflation after that. Jesus in particular, I wanted nothing to do with the penalty box after that, you know, and really I think that and the combined with the Allen injury, you know, those two things probably deflated everybody across the board. And it would have been really remarkable, actually, in my opinion, to see much of an emotional reaction when you've had these early chances and blown it and you've lost one of your key talismans. And now you're like, how are we going to even create anything? So, you know, it, it, the things did not go the way they want. And you can look at all kinds of stats that can indicate that it really was a poor selection across the board. I, I really struggled even to come up with anybody I thought was a decent enough performance to make them mad of the match. It just overall was a really, really bad game when it could have been so much better and early on and then just deflated and was bad. Dan, uh, the loss of Velasco, in my mind, an observation was that it just, you know, even though they weren't super dangerous uh, in the time that Velasco was on the field, there were at least moments where they felt like they could get control of the game for spells because of Allen. And once he went off the field, that all just flat flew out the window. Yeah, it seemed to take the, uh, <clears throat> I guess, the idea out of the side. Um, although it was, you know, the best chances came from from Paxton pressing out of the midfield, but actually moving the ball forward, you kind of rely on having someone like Allen who can, you know, identify movements and pick out passes. Uh, after that, it was it was really uh, encoded. It was the uh, the creative spark almost. And even late on, it was him just lashing the ball from far out because nobody else opened up for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a frustrating game to watch. I mean, obviously playing in Seattle has never been a big deal, uh, a, a good place for Dallas. Mm. And the commentators certainly, um, I would, I did not watch the Apple TV when I watched the Fox FS one duo who I've never heard of before. Oh, and, they were terrible. Uh, yeah. Um, and they just they couldn't stop talking about Dallas's track record in Seattle. Um, if they didn't, if they told you once, they told us uh, <laughs> eleven times. And, yeah, I mean, fair play. D- Dallas just doesn't perform well in Seattle. You know, it's funny uh, after the game, Buzz, you and I traded a message about how it was maybe Ilara's uh, worst performance for Dallas. Yeah, uh, uh, and I I spent a significant amount of the game wondering what he must be thinking uh, playing mm. on that surface, and if if that in any way, shape, or form played a part in uh, in his performance. Maybe you know I, we should put a tag on that. Of course, that everything is relative, and he still was very good. It just probably was the least good of his performances, which is not which is you know remarkable. Right. That by most measures, his stats are pretty sweet in that game, even though. You know, I think there's a point at which if there's nobody in front of you, it's really hard to make any line-breaking passes that are going to free somebody up. And that was what I sort of watched for a great deal of the game. He still had a remarkable number of 
recoveries and intercepts and, and you know and, and you could actually look at him and Jao Paulo on the other side as and try and, and Jao Paulo is so gifted and so good and that's exactly what Yaramendi could be for this team and what we're hoping he is for this team. So there's a great analogy there between those two guys. So Yaramendi was fine. He he by anybody else's measure he had a great game. It's just that we've come to expect so much more. And I think the combination of uh, you know Allen's uh, occupation of the um the, the hole on the left side that he's supposed to be in. And then, and Jesus is vanishing from the front half, third of the field. And, um, you know, even Areola perhaps becoming a little static and, and Obreon on the other side, you know, just doing what Obreon does, you know, there really was, wasn't a lot of opportunities to play for progressive passes into p- good positions and just, you know, it's stagnant. Yeah. Dan brought it up. The only two real, I guess there was three dangerous chances, the Tafari, uh, fun run and shot uh, was one. The second one uh, and the other two obviously are uh, Jesus's opportunities, both of which were uh, created by Paxton pressing and getting the ball turned over in Seattle's uh, end of the field. And, you know, I have no other way of saying it as harsh as it is. Jesus just simply choked both of those opportunities and you can't, you can't make as much money as he did and know that so much is relying on you that you may be willing to forgive missing one of two, but to miss both of those opportunities is a real problem for this team. Yeah, well, that comes back to the idea that uh, a special player, in order for this team to do something, this is not the budget of these gigantic teams with lots of money, so you're going to need a guy to do something special. And he had the opportunities earlier to do something special, and he didn't do it. But I think that when Jesus has these games where he goes and, and vanishes from the front third, I think he means well by it. You know, I think he's trying to drive the team and and get the ball and get actions going. But the problem is, is that it's really bad for this team when he does that. Coach in passing mentioned a stat to me and I went and looked it up and it boggles my mind. Uh, He specifically said, look up when Jesus has 40 pass attempts. So I did. Uh, And it's remarkable. On the surface, it sounds great. When Jesus... (laughs) Yeah, listen, when Jesus has 40 pass attempts... I can see where this is going. Yeah, when he has 40 pass attempts, which, by the way, is a symptom of him him being in midfield, he has something like 60 shot-creating options. There's been 10 games this year where he's had 40 pass attempts. And in those 10 games, he created 60 shot-creating actions. Phenomenal play, you know, creating and getting things happening. Here's the problem. In those 10 games, FC Dallas is 0-4-6. Four losses and six draws for six points. And his and Jesus's XG again. If you're in, that's your stat. Combined, then all those games is 2.5, and he has one goal. And all the games under 40 passes, which is all the rest of the games, Jesus when he has less than 40 attempts, they're nine three and six for 33 points. So this is a perfect hallmark of like, yes, he's a very very good player. You could probably actually play him in almost any spot on the field, and he might be the best player on the team in that spot. When he goes back and plays central midfield or right back or whatever, the game against Colorado where he had all those amazing crosses into the box to nobody, or goes back and tries to link play or and play progressive dribbles and all that stuff, it's all really, really good. But there's nobody else that can score. So when he does it, the team is ruined. It's just awful. And I know that coach talks to him about this. I've talked to him on multiple occasions where he said, we've talked about it, we've talked about it, we've talked about it. You know, I don't know how you get him to not do it, but it's a significant problem. 
you know, that this is happening. And it basically happens when he thinks he's not, he, he lacks patience, I think. You have to learn that other guys are going to get the ball to you and you got to be there ready for it when it comes. Even if it takes to the 90th minute, it's going to come. This team scores a lot of goals late, right? They're, they like a third of all their goals came in the last 15 minutes. So young guy lacks patience. They get down. He gets mad. He's trying to come back and make it happen. You know, it's just you're killing the team, man. Just do your job. It's uh, the ch- the title of that book is when your nine plays as an eight. Yeah, exactly. That is what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> right. Dan, were you frustrated with Jesus like everybody else? Uh, yes, absolutely. I uh, don't know how anyone couldn't be. The Jesus situation causes me all sorts of confusion because when he does this, he doesn't perform well, which reduces his value on the market, which changes the, the, the questions we ask about what happens if Dallas sells him. How do you fix the problem if he's here? Which is, do you let him play in the midfield and you find a proper number nine? And I don't know, man, I, the whole thing to me, but, and it, maybe yeah. this isn't the time to have this conversation, but it's these types of performances and that type of statistical evidence that just mm-hmm. creates all sorts of confusion about how you feel about the guy well the, what you do with him long term is the discussion we'll have you know at a, a frigid point but the the overall point is that there's a reason why between the age of 20 when basically you're the, you're you're at your most raw athletic and maybe purest touch potentially moment to the age of like 26 to 28 when you 26 to 29 when you peak out as a professional your career reaches its zenith the difference in those two things, because you don't develop all that much skill after the age of like 18, 19 years old. What you develop is your brain, your soccer brain. And in this particular case, and something we've talked about a lot with Paxton as well, is that both of those guys needed to develop wisdom and patience. Their whole careers with FC Dallas and the academy, they were the man. They were the only ones. They were carrying their teams. They're way better than all the guys around them, unquestionably. And there's a point at which you become a full-time pro. You have to recognize that everybody else around you now can play. In Jesus' case, yes, he's still the best player on the team. But you have to let people do their jobs. And so there's just a, there's just a certain amount of wisdom and patience that the kid needs to develop. And you can talk to him about it and talk to him about it and talk to him about it. And at some point, he'll either figure it out or he won't. And that'll be the difference between him being a really valuable international player going over to Europe and doing those great things or being stuck here for the next – 15 years is whether he progresses his mind for the game or not. And that's the difference. And that's what you have to wait for and hope for. Well, it's painful to watch and it's frustrating. And I, one of the sad part side products of this is watching people online and in your discord turn against him, uh, pretty, you know, the, I mean, the, the mood about Jesus and all of these open spaces, which historically has been pretty welcoming and warming and loving, is very much <laughs> not in his favor at this particular moment. And, and, and I think, in part, Buzz, through your education of people, if people take note of when he disappears out of the game, as he did after missing those two opportunities, yeah. and just kind of goofing off all over the field and and performing the way he did, and and it's uh, and, and I don't know how he. I mean, look, he's going to have to pull off miracles on Saturday night to, I yeah. think, uh, uh, reclaim any kind of the fandom that he's lost over the course of the second half of this season. You know, he doesn't help himself because he's um, because of his body language. He's very expressive in his language. You can see what he's thinking, what he's feeling in any moment, all the time. Just looking at him walk around, or the way he gestures to teammates. You know, he's not a guy that plays. You know, his car's tied to his vest and doesn't 
isn't demonstrative. He's the opposite of that. And so people see his reactions and sometimes they put two and two together in their head that he's doing these things because he's mad or upset. And I actually think it's not the case. I think it's because he's, he lacks a little faith that his teammates are going to get in the ball, which is ridiculous when you have E.R. and Mindy back there or Paxton back there or guys like Ariola on the wing who can feed you the ball or maybe O'Brien's not so much, but when Bernie's out there or in the times of the year when LeJet's been healthy, you know, there's plenty of guys on this team that can line break and can get you the ball and you just have to learn to wait for them, you know, and, and the way he holds himself and carries himself in the way that it now is noticeable. I mean, people all the time, and I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I'm sure we've had a little bit of impact in it, but there's people all the time that I know a lot about soccer that message me all the time about it, you know, about what is he doing? You know, and it's just, it's incredibly frustrating for everybody else. And I'm sure it's frustrating for him and his coaches too, that it continues to happen. Uh, you're right. The next game, you know, it's going to be, especially with Allen out now, you know, he's going to have to do something special if they're going to get an advance. You know, he'll need some help too, and he'll have to let people help him. That's the thing. It can be really hard to let people help you, and he needs to let people help him. The thing, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it is frustrating yeah. to watch. And I think, you know, his body language stuff, I don't think he's actually mad at anybody. I think he's frustrated because no. yeah. he's so good. Your point that he could play any position on the field and be the best player at that position is probably right. Uh, and I think that just means that he's, he gets frustrated with the situation uh, and and so he tries to go and fix it himself, represented and shows itself in him, you know, in the in Dallas's final third when he's not up in the box and the the that whole stat stuff that you read out. And it's uh, yeah. and I and I I'm sure if you're Nico Estevez, you are so frustrated because Jesus is the golden child in this club, both. Uh, kind of literally and figuratively, and he can't. Nico can't seem to do anything to fix it because this has been an issue for for not a short period of time. It's tough because you can't blast him, you can't rip him, you can't really bench him. You know he's way too valuable. You need him too much. You know when we've talked to death the idea that no one else on this team can score for at a good efficiency. He's your only good scoring option. You know you just have to try and keep coaching him, keep hoping he'll get it. You know because even when he's when he's not, when he isn't doing this, which is the other 80, 85% of the time, he's phenomenal. You know, it's only this 15% and it magnifies, of course, because it's in losses and it's in bad losses that we really, really see it, you know? So that's, it's a compounding problem for everybody involved because we all start talking about it and mentioning it and blowing it out of proportion, probably uh, when it's bad, which is like when you get smoked in the first game of the playoffs. Yeah. It, it, it's uh I don't know. Uh, Dan, you have anything you want to throw in here? You've been awfully quiet. No, it's uh, just an incredibly frustrating way to start the playoffs. And uh, yeah, just it, it's just incredibly frustrating. And, um, you know, on the broadcast, uh, Donnie kept saying, you know, he hasn't scored since September. Um, you know, and, and, and to miss those two absolute golden opportunities in the first half hour and then kind of run away from the play was just a really disappointing thing to see hmm. uh, well uh i suppose he's got an opportunity to make up for it like like we said here on saturday night um let's move on to some other uh th- mm. players and topics to talk about yeah uh so is the penalty kick mr rolled on being slick smart and sly or is it uh, mr farfan just 
uh, not playing that situation well. No, Roldan baited him. Yeah, that's Roldan is incredibly savvy at that kind of play. He he does that, the versions of that all the time, all over the field. In fact, there's a the, in one of the replays of that play, it's very clearly that he baits him. And when Roldan's on the lands on the ground and sits up with his arms raised, you know, to the ref, the usual like, "Where's my PK?" The minute the ref points, you can see this little cheeky smile crack Roldan's face, and then he goes, "Oh, wait, I gotta act like I'm like I'm still mad." He was playing him the whole time. This is exactly the kind of thing this guy is really, really good at. There's a reason why he's still a pro at his age and still producing at a really high level in his age, and it's because of his mental understanding of the game and his gamesmanship. You, you don't have to like it. But I think you got to, on some level, I think you get to respect it because he definitely, you know, earns that PK 100% on his own by baiting Farfan, in my opinion. Yeah, he draws him in 100%. I mean, you know, it takes Farfan making a clumsy play. He tried to have a dig at him. Rodan evaded it, took a couple of steps into the box. Farfan again tries to come across at him, take a dig, and Rodan's not pulling his leg out this time. Um, it was a little disappointing after the game. Uh, you know, Nico was adamant in his press conference. It came up with no one actually mentioning it that that shouldn't have been a penalty kick. And he said that there was a new rule introduced and there was a, co- a whole meeting with the coaches and referees. And um, I guess it turned out later on, um, Christina Uncle actually uh, clarified. It was it was a directive of players that are like, you know, they, they put their leg in a place to create contact, which I don't think he necessarily did. He put his leg in a natural place to cut inside and just made it, you know, close enough that, that Marco couldn't really do much. It was either let him by or foul him. Uh, but it was a bit disappointing just to hit for him to be that adamant that it was a disgrace. The penalty was given. It was a foul. Yeah, I, I, I won. I, was anybody else aware of this rule change? Uh, no, I'm not sure what rule he's talking when, about. When, when he said rule, ch- he, he he made it sound like it was a new rule, uh, like a whole new rule that was brought in in the past week. I knew there was a directive to say, like, hey guys, like, if you know, let's say Marco's foot's planted and Roldan kicks into him to take the contact. I knew there was a directive to say, like, that's that's not a foul. That's a player making contact. But that's mm. also not what happened. I, I can see by him thinking maybe something about initiation of contact was the issue. I, I don't. I'm with you, Dan. I don't see anything there in that moment that makes it think like Roldan's initiating any kind of contact. I mean, foul's a foul. It definitely is a foul. I mean, yeah. Roldan definitely baits him and definitely tricks him. But there's no fake initiation of contact or anything like that. I can't see that being the case. Yeah. Well, that uh, obviously set off the penalty kick. I thought Paws was going to get it. By the way, if there's a highlight of the game, it's that sweet goalkeeping kit red glove combination <laughs> Paws was wearing. Have we seen that yet this year? Is that the first time he's worn that? I don't remember it. They don't. The, the, the FC Dallas keeper doesn't often wear solid black. They usually are yeah. Blue he normally he normally wears the green one. Uh, it it was it was fantastic. I've never seen a keeper wear an all black kit with the uh, stop sign red gloves like that before. And I thought that was a fantastic look and I hope he works at the rest of the, <laughs> the playoffs because it was great. And I did think he, I actually thought he got really close to saving uh, that particular PK um, that uh, who, who took it. Rusnik took it. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Rusnik. 
He pushed it onto the post, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it, I don't, I don't know if he pushed, did he get a touch on it and push it onto the, I saw it come off the post, it, but I didn't know if he it touched definitely, it. Definitely. He got something on it as whether he actually like actively pushed it onto the post or whether it just kind of happened to deflect off him somehow. Ah, okay. Well, Buzz, what else, uh, about that particular moment? Would you like to get in? anything about the penalty kick or the far fan incident? I don't, I don't have anything about the penalty kick, but I think there was a, um, you know, you were talking about pause. I think there was a really good um, pause save, you know, from the, the, the first half that was particularly good um, from a long range where he basically dives back to the other direction. I just thought that was, that was a really good save in particular. Just underlining again that how good – I mean, at that point it would have been, you know, before that Seattle had scored at all. So it would have been one goal before the other got their other goals. But it would have been – you know, a disaster if they had scored when they did. And he, again, once again, kept Dallas in a clean seat situation when he, they easily could have not have been. Let me see. I'm looking at my notes here uh, from the game. We talked about Tafari's run and shot, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I, You know, it's interesting how many sh shots Seattle took that Dallas blocked. I mean, the, the score... I'm not sure that the score is indicative of how much Seattle dominated and how many shots Seattle attempted in the course of the game. Yeah, I'm not either. There's a weird stat that I thought it was indicative of how dominant Seattle was, and that was the long passes out of the back by Paz. Now, usually long passes don't have a very good completion rate. I'm talking about like goal kicks or punts or whatever when you're kind of booting it long. You know, they usually, Dallas, when, when Paz does that, they only win about 35% of those. Well, this game, it dropped down to like 18%, which I thought was just a really good indicator of how physically dominant and how much control that uh, Seattle had of the midfield. You know, and, and, and they're sort of, they don't play like a low block, but they do play like a clog it up sort of a mid block. Um, and they really just stifled Dallas across that uh, board through there. And I thought, that's just a weird way that that stat to me indicated what the problem was that the Dallas really couldn't get through that central section to an advanced position, probably again, leading to contribution to why Jesus kept coming back like he was. So that was really the only thing other than I thought Nikosi probably was one of Dallas's best players, even though he should have done better on the Morse goal. But other than that, I thought he was one of Dallas's best players because at least he was acting like he wanted to fight and compete. And when some of the other guys, I think probably didn't weren't acting like that. So, uh, something about Tomasi, um, it, uh, I found it really funny. You know, he picks up in the second half. He starts really trying to make attacking runs. And there's this moment where he breaks out of defense, runs like halfway into the Seattle half, kind of turns around, runs straight into traffic, turns around and has this absolute look of disgust on his face because Jesus Ferreira is walking still like lev you know where where Tumasi should should be out of possession in that kind of right back position yeah he's behind him i remember that moment yeah <laughs> he was that far and just like did not make an effort to is it right back yeah to come up to play or anything yeah tough uh uh the other part that we should get into buzz is the interesting case of mr liam frazier Oh yeah, right. We should talk you, about him. You brought him up yeah. in your uh, three things, and I was, uh, to be frankly honest, I was a bit shocked that you uh, you brought yeah. him up in the way that you did. He was in my top three players for Dallas in the game. I thought he was fantastic. Look, part of it is that 
you know, he's forced to sub on uh, cold, basically, without really any warm-up uh, or very little warm-up into a game he wasn't expecting to play uh, on the road against Seattle. I'm going in for Allen. Are they expecting me to play like that? You know, I think the kid's mentally tough. I think uh, that was a nice showing for him. So in the time he was in there, which is not the whole game, he had four progressive passes, which led FC Dallas, which I'll tell you something about how they were playing. 77% passing. He had two key passes. Again, that was top on the team. He had a, his personal XG was like 0.5, which is, I think, better than Jesus's. And he had three blocks, defensively speaking. So, no, he's not nearly as good as Yaramendi. But um, I just thought, like, that was one of the better Liam Frazier games we've had that I've seen. Uh, and he did it in, a, in a, what is a really, really mentally tough situation, coming in cold in the first half and not, not after not expecting to play until late probably or even at all. I thought it was a really nice performance on his part. And he took out by throw-downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was hitting people too. I'll give him that, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what it is, and maybe this is all me. I'm willing to admit that, but I my comment was is he's the most invisible player I can <laughs> ever think of in FC Dallas history. Like I don't remember anything about his game Saturday night. It was not, and I don't even mean that in a bad or a good way. Like I don't remember him doing anything noticeably awful or anything noticeably good. It's just re- it's a weird effect. Maybe he's just invisible in, to me. In his role in the midfield, sometimes that's a good thing. Sure. In, in that role, if you notice a player, it's because you're noticing doing the wrong things rather than just facilitating players, keeping players alive, making basic stops, and just just doing the the right fundamental things. Well, I yeah, I would agree with that. I just uh, and I also recognize the fact that he came into the game unexpectedly and cold. Yeah. But we've seen enough. Like I've watched him play enough games for Dallas now. I just, he's consistently a guy that I go to the end of the game and I think each individual player and I think to myself, oh, I remember them doing this good or bad or this good or bad. And every time I get to Frazier, I go, man, I don't remember anything that dude did tonight. <laughs> and yeah, that, I can't explain it. Yeah, that's funny. I, maybe it's, just, look, everybody sees the game differently. That's fine. It's like, I, I've gotten to the point now, like the first couple of games he came in, I thought he was absolute trash. And yeah. I've completely changed my opinion of him now. Like now at the end of the season, I think he's a phenomenal roster piece. I think he's mentally tough. I don't think he's even remotely close to some of the players on this team in terms of ability, but I don't think it lets him phase him. I think the kid shows up every day and works. He puts in a solid, as they would say, it puts in a solid shift. You know, he's adequate in most of his stat categories, you know, and he, he is willing to get a little tough when he needs to. So for his price point and for the circumstances of this game, I thought, and I actually thought that even if you throw those two things out, I still had him just 100 percent on his on the game as one of the top three guys. You know, it's just go ahead. Dan. One of the one of the notes I had uh, doing the write up for the blog was, I mean, he's he's fighting. Uh, you know, getting towards the end of the game, and most of the teams just quit, and they're already thinking about the next game. There was, but him to Marcy to Farai were pretty much the only ones that were kind of just going for it. Hmm. Yeah, it was frustrating to watch because the the added the overall kind of vibe of the game and I and I think this is maybe more indicative of the playoff format than anything else. Um you know John Tolkien talked about this today from New York Red Bull. I don't know if you guys have seen that video clip of him that's going around. Have you guys seen this? Mm-hmm. No. 
he basically was just laughing about this ridiculous playoff format uh, that MLS has set up to, you know, codify Apple. And um, he said, look, once you're down to nothing, you might as well just, you know, uh, you're, you're just looking forward toward the next game because goals don't mean anything. And um, and he's right. It's like, you know, especially if you go down to nothing uh, and, and, and you don't have your, you know, your, your best attack or one of your best attacking players in, in the game. I mean, it, you can kind of understand why everybody shuts down. Cause it's like, Hey man, yeah. it, it doesn't make any difference if we lose two nothing or 200 to nothing. What we have to do is at least win PKs on Saturday night in Frisco. Yeah. Did you watch the St. Louis Kansas city game though? No, I didn't. Oh man. I, I bet you St. Louis doesn't think that way. Well, I think I know. <laughs> I look, they I'm got not saying, wrecked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, uh, but 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 they got yeah. wrecked. Did they let themselves? But did they? So how? I don't even. I know that St. Louis lost to Kansas City, but my question is, did they get wrecked because St. Louis said, "Well, hey, look, we're already behind by so much that it doesn't make any difference." Like, why risk injury or tire ourselves out when all we have to do is win the next game or win it on PKs? Well, in, in that particular game's case, St. Louis, because they were at home, they right. pressed really hard to try and get back in it. So they brought on offensive guys, and they, they attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked. And, and got it, caught, well, pushed up. You know, well, I mean, at that point, Kansas City was up 3-1 inside 40 minutes of the start of the game. Kansas City came out blazing and just wrecked them. But then St. Louis kept trying to get back in it, and they made all these subs, and they kept attacking, and St. Louis, Kansas City got another one on right. them. Yeah. So, like, you know, they're probably demoralized by the sense of, like, Yes, it got to be 4-1, and we tried our damnedest to, to break them down, and we couldn't even do anything to them at all, and that was at home, and now we got to go to their place. So uh, yes and no, I totally agree with you. The format's kind of wanky, and you're right that once you go down a couple of goals, why bother? But um, you know, depending on who you are and how the game goes, I think we could do really do some real bad damage to yourself. And It'll be interesting to see how St. Louis responds to see if my theory is correct that they're basically done at this point. As Dan predicted would happen, by the way. Credit to Dan. That's right. Credit to Dan. Um, but it is, but what I when it relates to Dallas and and their kind of like overall vibe as the game went on, uh, what I can't figure out is is this a group of guys that have just essentially given up because they're all bummed out, or are they like, hey, we kind of need to save ourselves for the mm. next game in Dallas? That's what I can't a hundred percent sort yeah. out in my head at this point. Well, I think some of it was the missed opportunities early, and once they didn't get them, you know, and they lost Allen and it took the weight, the heat out of him, and that probably is you're right, deflated them, and then why bother at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, there's another game that this, that'll be an interesting question: is New York at home throttled Charlotte, um, or was that the playing game? That was the playing. That was the playing game. game. Never mind. Yeah, forget right. that. Bad example then. Um, New York got throttled by Cincinnati. I guess it'll see interesting how New York responds to that throttling with Cincinnati because that was three nothing. That might be an example of a game that once Cincinnati was up a couple of goals, the other team quit. I guess we're going to find out. You know, this is the first time we've seen this format. This this every game's a win format. We've seen three legs before, but not like this. It'll be interesting to see what happens in game two. You know, well, home fields I, have been really aggressively good across the board in this tournament so far. But this is the stupid. This is the the most ridiculous aspect of this, and the thing that everybody's talked about since they announced it is that Dallas loses two nothing in game one. All yeah. they have to do now is win the next two games on penalty kicks, and they're through without ever actually winning a game. Yeah. Well, I mean that's kind of the nature of the of the this format is they're claiming you're winning the game with the kicks. So yeah, but you and I all know that's win. you and I both know that's 
idiot. Yeah, talk. yeah, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, whoa. you know, that you can. You good? Yeah, I was just making a big deal about Peter's idiot talk. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. It's like, oh, well. Oh. So, um, I mean, you you could really have the same thing happen uh, with the two-legged playoff. Was it one season Seattle made it to MLS Cup and didn't actually score a goal throughout the? The playoffs, they scored one goal or something stupid. They kept winning penalty shootouts. Yes, of course. MLS has historically goofed this up in a variety variety of colors and flavors. And then Apple came along. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is just a new iteration of just another stupid playoff format. And I'm not sure this one, I mean, this isn't even the stupidest. Uh, but no. this one doesn't make a lot of sense, and uh, and and you know we'll see. I mean, uh, how it. All, I guess by the time we get to, to the started next week, we'll have a better idea of what the actual uh, results of this are. But I was going to say it's going to be really interesting in those third set of games to see how many teams actually tried to play for play, for penalties. Well, if yeah, assuming yeah, I'm a, I, yeah, it, let's see how many third games we get. True. What movie is it where they, they have the line about stop trying to make fetch happens? That oh, to mean me, girls. mean girls, mean girls. Yeah. Okay. So kicks from the spot is my fetch. Stop trying to make kicks from the spot happen. Just play. <laughs> they're releasing the musical as a movie now. So, oh. you know, yeah. Kicks I didn't even from know the spot is going to happen. Fetch. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty maddening. Now, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to uh, bring up and I have in my notes is the oddity of the substitutions. And it was the substitution of uh, uh, Dante Seeley um, late in the game instead of Kamungo, who was on the bench and didn't ended up and ended up getting subbed in later in the game. I, I still haven't figured out why he put Seeley on and not Kamungo. That's that's an easy one. Uh, they rated Kamungo and Legit for only 25 minutes. But they put Sealy on it like 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it was relatively close. Well, they did a shift formation change. You know, Sealy was really brought on more to play, you Left know, back. like to go to three at the back with the wingbacks. And, you know, for whatever reason, he thinks Sealy can be a wingback. I think that's a terrible idea. I think Sealy's a horrible wingback. But, you know, that's Junka's in for Farfan, and then Junka's sliding over into as like the third center back, and Sealy's the wingback. You know, I, I'm sure the idea is that you have an extra winger, basically, you know, Tuomasi's on one side and Sealy's on the other, giving you two gut because Tuomasi can be a winger. Remember, he was that. So it kind of, you're trying, the idea is that you're going to overload offensively. I don't think it worked, but. Um, I'm sure that was a part of the idea of going Sealy first is because of that idea that coach seems to have that Sealy is a wingback or can be a wingback. Well, I think it's pretty clear to all of us now why Dante Sealy is back in Frisco and not playing in the second division <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in in Holland anymore because yeah. the level of give up in that kid is shocking. Well, the worst part is that you you can tell he knows that it's a problem because yes. there's lots of times where he does the give up and then he goes, oh, crap, and he recognizes he did it and then he runs, you know, and it's like, dude, you just got to – the worst one for me is the is the when he comes in for 20 to 30 minutes and he only runs at like 80% on, on several occasions. And it's like, dude, you're playing for 25 to 30 minutes. You can run 100% every single run you make. You don't need to make these jogging sort of runs. You know, and that really annoys me and frustrates me. The kid has a lot of a talent, but he needs to figure out um, the intensity that the moment requires and the focus the moment requires. He's just coming in and playing. 
And if you just come in and play at an MLS level or higher, you're not going to get very far. You got to come in and compete. It's different. Well, it was disappointing, and then Bernie came on, and I'm still not sure Bernie's not actually hurt more than they're yeah. willing to admit because there was even a moment a couple minutes after he came on where he kind of was looking wonky at his ankle again. Yeah, it was, the turf was rough. They knew it was going to be rough. They were just hoping. You know, that's a prayer and a uh, Hail Mary at that point, just trying, hoping for anything. Uh, obviously, it didn't work, but, you know, there's not anything in that other than Hopefully he's better for this next one. Yeah, well, uh, it's a it's a, a, a strange deal. Um, let's see. Oh, we we did have now. To be fair, to, uh, we should talk about this because it relates to something we mentioned last week, which is oh man, if we ever had a guy on the team that we wanted to have a one on one with the other key, with the keeper, it would want to be Bernie. And of course, we ended up with one of those in <laughs> this game, and and he took it pretty weakly. And I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was the moment. I don't know if it was the turf. I don't know if it's his ankle, but that certainly wasn't the Bernie Kamunga we had seen most of the season. All the above. I know he doesn't get them all, but he's pretty good. Good strike rate at that moment. You're right. I was happy to see him get the opportunity. It's just, I was, you know, obviously it didn't happen, but I mean, I, I, when it happened, I thought, is there anybody else on the team that would have rather been in that shoes? And I was, nope. <laughs> that was, well, certainly not Jesus. Yeah. Or O'Brien or Areola doesn't have the pace yeah. to catch that. You know, it's just. All right, so, so Buzz, uh, yeah. 8 o'clock Saturday night in Frisco. It's game two. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, Dallas, you would love to see Dallas win the game, but uh, technically all they have to do is get it to PKs and, and win in PKs to make it a game three. Uh, what's your vibe on how they're going to try to accomplish this? What did you see at training, et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera? Well, the number one most important thing is to uh, understand that Martin Possible will indeed be in the all black again. Good. This is positive. <laughs> know. You know this for sure. You've confirmed <laughs> yeah. this. I, I have the official major league soccer kit diagram for the game and pauses in all black. I am a uh, fist bump. Do they have the yeah. red gloves in there too? No, they don't draw the gloves, oh, but they right. have Dallas in the red and blue. Would you right? get your red crayon and draw the gloves on there for me <laughs> and then take a picture of it and post it on social oh. media? <laughs> does, does that mean uh, Seattle's in the green and blue? It does. It's a colorblind game. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Sweet. The, okay. the, the, the Seattle's in the rave green. The ref is in blue and, and FC Dallas is in red and Navy. So the colorblinds are going to love this one. It'll be awesome. Um, okay. Important thing. Number two, Facundo's back in town training, got his green card, presumably. So that's good, I guess. Um, the reality is that Facundo is coming off of an injury and was out of town, so I, I don't put a high chance of him playing. The trick is, how, to, of course, how do you play Alan Velasco and how do you get Jesus to stay up front? And the way I think about it um, is I think back to the RSL game with the, up there, the 3-1 went up there, when Paxson Pomichol basically played the Allen 10 role. And I don't remember who was behind it, but it was probably Frazier and E.R. Mendy. And given how physical St. Louis is, St. Louis, Seattle is, I'm kind of leaning, my instincts are leaning into like a Frazier, E.R. Mendy double pivot with Paxton given the more free role, the, the Velasco role. And that's your best bet because you have to, you have to replace um, Allen's you know, line-breaking, passing, penetrating dribbles. You have to replace that aspect. And you have to try and keep Jesus up in the box. So... Ariola probably is a given at this point. Legette is too early to be able to start, but he can compete more. You know, maybe he can give you half a game, perhaps, if you need him to. 
Bernie's an interesting question, you know, because basically you're stuck at this point because Ons is not in the mix. It doesn't appear to be to, had, to first start. When he subbed into the game, I thought yeah. I was like, I had totally forgotten about that cat. Yeah, hell, Mary. I forgot he was yeah. even on the team. Yeah. So um, it's probably going to have to be Obreon or Kamungo, unless if Kamungo's healthy enough to go a whole game. You know, but you saw him on the turf. So what do you think? It's probably going to have to be Obreon again. So you really don't have a lot of choices. You know, it's going to. You don't have Legette. You don't have Bernie. Doesn't look like probably to start. So it's going to have to be Obreon and Ariola, Jesus up top. Uh, Paxson is the more free player. Frazier, I, I'm pretty sure at this point in the Iramani combo, and that makes the back line easy. Um, Farfan, Nikosi, Ibiaga, and Tuomasi with pause. It really is all you can do. Um, if you're curious about Jose Martinez, he um, it got rolled in practice on Thursday before the game by O'Brien. <laughs> so he got his ankle rolled and then they went up and they took him with him. They took Martinez with them. And then Martinez, when they trained on before the game, they trained up there in Seattle and Martinez wasn't comfortable recovered enough. So that's why he didn't make the bench. And that's why of course it was on the bench instead. Ah, okay. So will Martinez be healthy enough to make the bench? Uh, probably because I mean, if, if they took him along thinking that he might be a game day decision, they probably is pretty close. It's probably not super bad, but I don't know if that really gets you anything because he's not going to start. It's going to be Nicosi and Ibiaga, but it does answer the question of where the hell was Martinez? Why was he not on the bench? Well, it was weird because somebody had mentioned that he had posted some video on his Instagram account. Like in, it, it was like a weird time to be posting a highlight reel of your <laughs> season. <laughs> well, a player that, I, I, you know, not to get into offseason stuff, but if there is a player that's a more of a veteran player, you know, they'll tell them ahead of time whether they'll be involved or not. Um, mainly to give those guys a chance to find a landing spot and a playing spot so they don't get blindsided, you know, because this winter will be midseason in Europe. You know, they sort of give them every chance they can to find whatever if they're going home, that kind of thing. So the, the conjecture with that him sharing that video was potentially that they may have told him that he's not going to be here next year, but that's, that wouldn't affect him. I mean, he's not Ziegler. It's not going to make him miss more games. So it was just this injury in practice that um, caused him to miss that game. And I'm sure he'll be available for this game. And Facundo will be available for this game, you know, which means probably um, Siki won't be on the bench probably because to and Facundo probably will be. So really, honestly, there's not a lot of choices to be made, frankly, with the injuries they have, they're kind of stuck with the 11 that they're going to play, in my opinion. So how do they take this 11 and turn this into some sort of uh, positive result? Well, you have to hope that um, you can. That's why I mentioned that RSL game when Paxton played this role and Dallas dominated. I don't know if you guys remember that game. It was, it was about a, it was at the start of the run of um, the, the, when they had the seven games in 22 games, seven days, games in 22 days, excuse me. They played up there and played really well. Paxton pressed really well and had made a bunch of good runs into the box. And they got at RSL and RSL tried to play. That's the thing, right? So the problem for you is that Seattle's not necessarily a team that's going to open it up. You know, they're going to play a mid block. So you're going to have the same sort of problem. So what you have to choose is try and match their effort and intensity. You're going to have to be able to have, and the only reason why I think that leans into Frazier is because he, he showed intensity last game. You're going to hope Nikosi's going to bring some intensity. You're going to hope the home field advantage is going to give you intensity. You can feed off your crowd. Hopefully, Jesus will stay up front and be patient enough for them to get some opportunities. 
And really, that's it. You don't really have – there's no magic bullet at this point. There's no guy on the bench that's going to be all of a sudden be healthy. Like, even if LeJet gets healthy, it's not like he's going to come in and just tear them apart, right? He's solid, but he's not that guy. You know, Allen's done, so it's not going to be him. You know, you really just are hoping that you can compete and give yourself an opportunity and Jesus can get one, you know, or take it to PKs, I guess, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not. That'd be boring as hell. But um, at a minimum, you got to match their intensity. You got to make your home field be tough for them to play in, you know, make it hurt for them. And then, then try and go back up there and steal it if you can. You know, they've only won there once in 20 in their entire history. So going back up there is going to be a crapshoot at best anyway. So you got to dominate here at home for sure now. Yeah, I you know we obviously would talk about that uh, on the next episode if in fact they uh, get the result this weekend. But this right. all very much has the feel uh, of the previous twenty seven years of uh, always next year. <laughs> well, the the problem is that as you say, why don't people teams just play a block against Dallas? Well, this is a team that does that. Yeah, you know they didn't draw a team that wants to play. They would have been better off if they had gotten Salt Lake or LAFC teams that want to open it up and play, or even the Galaxy if they'd have made it, you know, Sporting likes to play too. They don't want to block. So, but, you know, here's a team that does. So you're in trouble. Like you say, it always causes Dallas problems. So this is about the worst matchup available in the in the playoffs, frankly. Yeah, I think the frustrating part, though, Buzz, is, is that uh, th- these are two similarly um... – Similar teams. We talked about this last week. Their their structure and the and their purpose is not dissimilar from each other. They're both yeah. low creation chance teams and low scoring teams in general. Seattle's had their issues with injuries and of key players, but there does appear to be not just a, a a different tactic when they do have the ball and and pushing forward and trying to create opportunities and their ability to actually create super dangerous opportunities it's just a different level of player and a different level yes yeah. the, the the two teams look very similar from the the first two thirds of the field and in my mind look very different in the attacking third of the field does that make sense yeah no Seattle's a better version of FC Dallas there's a reason why they're in second place yeah you know they they have a couple of key players that are better than some of the guys dallas has and and then seattle also has way way more experience and they know how to do this and they know how to better break down a block so when dallas went up there and blocked they knew how to get around them you know they went around the outside and crossed it in that's one of the ways you beat a block you know dallas doesn't have that play because they don't have a jordan morris they got jesus they they got a guy who's five eight instead of a guy that's six two yeah well that that cross knew who put in was Farting perfect, by the it, way. It that was, was an amazing cross. Both center backs could have done better on it, but it was an amazing cross. You're right. But, you know, they got, they have these big physical guys like Nuhu. You know, they got creative, nifty guys. They have multiple ways to break down a block. Dallas doesn't have that. Yeah. You know, they're better offensively than Dallas is. They're better, they're more experienced than Dallas is. Their defenses are pretty much the same. I, I would stack up Dallas's defense pretty close to theirs. Um, Paz, in particular, I think is probably better than Frey at this point. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you can take that they're not better in a lot of other phases. And that's the thing. There's a reason why it's a two seed versus a seven seed. Is that what they are? Seven seed. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a whole lot of points, but it's three or four wins. That's a lot. You know, that's, that's a big difference. And Seattle's been there many, many times and won it many, many times. And this team has not. And they, they're going to need one of their kids to do great things. The Paxton and Jesus are going to have to carry this team through this round if they're going to do it. This is where we're at. Right. 
Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's not much. Uh, it's they're not loaded with attacking talent and goal scorers. They ne- they haven't been all season, and it would yeah. it would uh, it would it would surprise everybody to find somebody suddenly banging in goals yeah. after nobody's done it all particular season. I mean, the season's Paul's having. You're not looking at him. Yara Mindy can make some great splitting passes to set you up, but he's doing it from deep. You know, it's going to be Jesus has got to get in the box and get opportunities. Pax is going to have to crash underneath in the what it was Allen's role, which Paxson can't do if he's on. You know, is Bernie capable of starting, you know, or can Obreon do one of his Obreons like he did in this last the, the game that they won against LA, you know, where he almost tried to blow it and then didn't? I mean, you know, what else do we have at this point? I don't know. Uh, may I? You know, I'm just trying to run off the the Texas Ranger vibe. You know, kind of back <laughs> into the playoffs and surprise everybody with a run. Do the unexpected. It is a bummer that all day, everywhere you turned, what you heard was now all four professional sports teams have won their championships in the Dallas Fort Worth yeah. area. <laughs> it is annoying, but it's a battle we've been fighting for years. You know, the 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 problem. Uh, who's it that told a story about going to dinner with nine of their best sports buddies to watch the Rangers and three uh, of them somebody in your was, discord. Yeah. yeah. Didn't even know there was a pro soccer team in town. And I'm like, that's a typical, and they were eating at the restaurant across the street from yeah, Toyota stadium. The from Toyota stadium. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, listen, we're at a point here and I know it's tough where the team's running out of bullets. You know, we've kind of, we've talked about this team all year. They're not there yet. And they're kind of running out between injuries and youth, and they're running into a team that plays the way they can't handle. They're just kind of out of ammunition at this point. Yeah, you, you got to hope for something special if you want to get out of this round. I hate to be a gloomer, but this is—I'm not. Try, this is not an emotional reaction. I'm analyzing the team, as I'm sure you guys both do, and you probably recognize just like I do that they really are running out of potential to do something. Well, Bernie's not healthy. Jesus is doing whatever he's doing. Allen's out. You know, it's just they're kind of running out of guns. Buzz, we've been watching this team now for yeah. almost 30 years. Yeah, what we are witnessing this season is just a slightly different variation of what we have witnessed for the last almost 30 years. This isn't yeah, a surprise, fair. right? I mean, yeah, it, no. it, it it is what it is. Uh, and you have to just make a decision if you're comfortable with that being enough for you to uh, find enjoyment out of the club over the course of a season. You know? Yeah, and this is what they this is what the hunt set up, which was make the playoffs and then hope something happens. Hope you get hot. Hope somebody carries yeah. you through. And this is it. That's what they did. Hope so somebody. That's where we are. Hope your uh, your eight million dollar Argentinian wonder kid doesn't blow out yeah. his knee in the playoffs. You know. Yeah. And hey, Seuss, you know your 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 golden child for your academy comes through for you since you sold the other one for twenty million. You know, the one you got left comes through for you. You know, that's where you're at. Hmm. Excited about a year Mondi for next year, though. That'd be fun. You think he sticks around? Oh, my God. He better. Well, there's a difference between hoping and and knowing if anybody has said anything to you, well, kind of indicating that he'll be back next year. The team has an option. So, I mean. So it's not necessarily up to him. No, no, it's not up to him. It's, he doesn't I mean, have the option to. retire. Too. You just quit and walk away. But Right. I mean, if he wants... He's on a contract, though, so it's like, you know, you can't I guess go my, somewhere else. I guess my point is, also as a part of the almost 30 <laughs> years of watching this team, we've seen our fair share of foreign players show uh, up here, goof off for a few months, and decide it's not for them and and uh, get their way in going back home. So, Yeah. The worst one is Josh Keller. You remember who the, the, the burn used a really, really high uh, pick on in the compression draft. 
He was yes. going to be there six, and he showed up here for two weeks and said, "Nope, screw that, I'm retiring." Yeah, quit. <laughs> I do. After they'd wasted that like second overall pick on him or whatever it was. I think that's an entry in the list. Yeah, I believe it is in the list. Yeah, I believe it is in the list. <laughs> hey, what was the thing you sent me the other day that you thought needed to be added to the list? The Ziegler thing, the quit Ziegler quitting. Oh, Rito. You don't. When yeah. he posted that he had, right. had been exposed to COVID. And we later found out that he did that to say, because they weren't offering him an extension. And it was his attempt to say, oh, you're not going to offer me an extension. See how guys, you guys like to play with, with Brisson starting. And so he's like, <laughs> I got exposed to COVID. I'm out. And they were like, what? <laughs> I got to post yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good one. All that's right. the one that we missed it from 20. Was that 2020? I, I think it was. Yeah, it was probably the end of the 2020 season. Yeah, sure. He was yeah. at the end of his contract. <laughs> yeah, and then he never played again basically they subbed him in like one time after that i think late in the game but that was it he never started and that was they just went with brasson the rest of the way yeah we promoted that a few weeks ago and somebody <laughs> read it for the first time and they sent me a it's text bonkers. they're like yeah. no they sent me a text they're like this is satire. Like you made most, you made all nope. this up, right? And nope. I'm like, no, every single entry in yeah. the list is 100% true and accurate. Well, it reads like, it's one of those things like you couldn't make this up. It's so bizarro. It's like something you'd read year, in the onion. Yeah. After year after, except it's 20, 30 years of it now of bizarro stuff. Yeah. You know. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. I don't know what else to do, man. It's just, it's just, I feel like we're at that point where we all kind of know where it's headed and I don't want to be too much of a bummer about it, but I also don't want to be unrealistic either yeah. and get everybody's hopes up, you know? Well, we're in the keep it realistic business, not the get everybody's hopes up business. You know, I mean, obviously I'm hoping something happens. I mean, Hey, Seuss is a tremendous player. You know, it's always possible. He could just do this thing and carry this team all the way, but you know, the, the 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 stats and the and what we're seeing are telling us that's very very unlikely. You know. Well, I, I I do feel like coming out of this, the two talking points is how has Jesus's poor second half of the season affected whatever plan this club had for Jesus, whether they were planning on selling him or keeping him, and uh, and how that plays out. And the other part of it is is the Velasco injury because his injury and the timing of the injury doesn't clearly allow Dallas to put him on, you know, recoup his DP spot right. um, and his salary situation. But now they got a plan on not having him for the first half of next season. And well, how are they going to do that? Yeah, that's all offseason talk. We'll say that. I know. I'm just saying there's yeah. the, we can we can all be bummed out and just assume the worst about the, how this season ends. But there are some significant fallout talking points that happened on Monday night that we'll see how they affect into Saturday uh, that I think we're going to spend a yeah. lot of time talking about in the offseason. Yeah, for sure. All right. What do you think, Dan? Oh, I don't bloody know. Okay. Well, I was always looking... I, I always turned to you for vintage European insight. That was it. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Okay. Well, thank you, Dan. It's uh, good to hear from you. How was the, uh, the, the Freddy movie? We heard that, that you lot. went to see that. Yeah, uh, Five Nights at Freddy. It was a lot of fun. Yeah? Good, good horror. Are you a big horror fan? No, not really. I find they have crap storylines. This one, the storyline was like silly, but it was fun. Okay, all right. Yeah, have you ever been it. to a Chuck E. Cheese? I used to live near one, but no. Oh, okay. Do they have Chuck E. Cheese's in England? No. Okay. 
Buzz, you're a big Chuck E. Cheese fan, aren't oh, you? Oh, when I was a kid, I was I used to love Chuck E. Cheese. I never understood why my parents didn't like it <laughs> until I got the, older. <laughs> now you'd never go I mean, back inside one, yeah, would you? Yeah, now it's awful. I would never go there. It's just I don't have kids. I'm never going back there again. Uh, clearly, Chuck E. Cheese has never been and will never be yeah. a sponsor of Third Degree, the podcast. No, uh, we're not their target audience, I don't think. All right. Have you seen a good movie lately, Buzz? Uh, yes. Um, it was on the the TV though. I watched. That's okay. It. it was not a movie. It was a show called Bodies. Yes, I'm. Wa- I'm. 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 I'm on episode. Yeah. Uh, I just finished episode five or six. There's a little bitty bit in the middle where it got a tiny bit. Um, where it slowed down just a little bit for me, where I was like, okay, this is this is feeling a little bit filtered. But other than that, I mean, it's like a, was it six or seven episodes? Show eight. Shows. It's eight. Eight episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to make that story in eight episodes was amazing, and the fact that it only dragged for me like once or twice. Even even past the point where I totally figured out what was coming, they still figured out how to make it relevant and interesting. Had you read um, the comic? No, uh-uh. okay. But I, you know, I really enjoyed um, all the layering of it, and they, and they and even past the first couple of layers, they they figured out how to make a couple more layers. So you know, time travel detectivey stuff. I, I quite enjoyed that show. Yeah. So you're my you're the one person that is that I know. Uh, you're the one person I know who is more into sci-fi than anybody else. Have you picked up on Scavengers Reign yet? No, but you've been telling me about it. I just haven't gotten to it. I'm, I added it to my list once you told me about it. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, you will spend most of every episode going, wait a second, what just happened? <laughs> but it's really real. I, I'm fascinated by it. It's a couple more episodes fell this week. so uh, And it's animated, and I love animation, and it's beautifully animated. And yeah. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Well, the, the best anime I've, I've seen lately is Arcane, which is a couple years old now, or a year old now, but it's absolutely mind-bendingly good. Um, that's the game based on League of Legends, which is crazy. But um, the the thing I'm finding about science fiction lately is that a lot of it's just turning into horror movies. Mm. I don't know why, but right now, like 10 out of 11 movies coming out are horror movies. Maybe it's something about our times. And I'm not a horror guy. So I'm struggling looking for good science fiction movies that aren't just horror movies. You know, mm. like, like Alien is a good movie because it's a groundbreaking, amazing science fiction film. But it's basically a straight up horror movie. I don't need I don't need a hundred versions of Alien, you know. That's at that point I'm out. Uh, I really enjoyed Foundation on on Apple. That's been really great. So I'm hunting and pecking, looking for my good sci-fi shows and detective shows. It's the other genre I like, which is why I like Bodies because it was a combination of sci-fi and and detective. So hmm. that was fun. I'm trying to figure out if I should recommend one of the greatest sci slash medical fi movies of all time to you. What's that? Um, it's a, m- a movie called Human Centipede. Oh, I'm aware. Of it. I'm not watching that. <laughs> not watching that. I made no. Dan laugh. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> well, straight up, if you haven't seen Arcane, I recommend that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Scavenger's Reign is not anime. It's animated. Yeah. Uh, it's. It, I didn't know if you thought I said it was anime. It's well, not anime. Tomato, potato. I'm not one that makes a distinction between animated and anime. Anime is animated. So you know, whichever. You would like Arcane either way. It's a spectacular piece of storytelling, and it happens to be animated. All right. Very good. Well, there's enough uh, TV slash movie talk to end the episode. Dan, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. And Buzz, I guess uh, I haven't figured out if I'm going to the game or not Saturday night. Mm. You were going to try to sit with us. Is that not happening? 
Well, I haven't decided. I, yeah, I'm, I was trying to source a ticket, uh, purchase tickets from friends of mine that have season tickets. And so uh, uh, I, it's, this, there's a weird situation where several of my friends that have season tickets did not buy playoff tickets. Wow, that's weird. Well, because they had uh, like a few of them were traveling and didn't mm. think they'd go to the games. And uh, a few of them just said, yeah, I did, didn't <laughs> season didn't really uh, endear us to buying uh, spending more money on the team. So, um, yeah, yeah. So if I'm going to buy a ticket, I've got I've got to probably just going to buy it straight from the club. But I haven't decided if I wanted to go yet or not. Well, thanks for hosting, and hopefully you'll come hang out with us. It'd be fun to see. Uh, well, we, maybe we can go grab a bite to eat or something. Yeah, right. for sure. Very good. Third Degree the Podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop their wide open selection of FC Dallas national team gear, European club gear, jersey scarves, whatever you need. T-shirts, they got it all. Soccer balls. Man, I think they even got some cleats over there. Soccer90.com. If you're a listener to this podcast, use the code thirddegree at checkout for 20% off. That's 20% off Soccer90.com, code third degree. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Well, thank you, guys. It's good talking to you. Uh, We will hope for the best on Saturday night, 8 o'clock at Toyota Stadium. Game two of this round of MLS uh, Funny Playoffs. And uh, thank you, uh, FC Dallas Curious fans. We hope you enjoy the game Saturday night. And we will be back next week to talk to you on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. No Thomas Roberts. Or Alan Belasco. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast.